Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. We're headed to the home stretch of football season and basketball is in full swing. And BetOnline remains the number one spot for all the action this year. Head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Use the promo code BLEAV50, B-L-E-A-V-50, to receive your bonus. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all of your favorite sports. Bet online, where the game starts. Good afternoon or good night. However, and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy Podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network. Except it isn't live because it's a podcast. Welcome in, everybody. It is a beautiful, beautiful December 30th, our final technically official episode of 2021. The reason I say this is because we are planning to have a recording schedule this week where we push back the Friday podcast until after the college football playoff. We will have post-game live reactions with Blake Jude like we did last year for the college football playoff. So no Friday podcast on the 31st. Wait until late at night for our college football playoff podcast to drop. We're going to do it right after the game. So it'll be up Saturday morning for your consuming pleasures here on Take It Easy. I hope you enjoy that. And uh, here today, for our final podcast of 2021, we are going to talk about John Madden, which is a little bit of what everyone is doing around this time. But I wanted to have Walter Mitchell tell John Madden stories because Walter Mitchell spent a summer working on Madden football, which was originally for CBS, scrapped by CBS, and then five years later created by EA Sports, using a lot of the original playbooks and original graphic design editors that Walter worked on during the summer of 1983 and then getting to meet John Madden. It's a wonderful story. He's told it once before here on the podcast and he goes much more in depth with the John Madden memoriam and it was really, really well done and I wanted to bring that here to this podcast. So our Walter Mitchell Power Hour will be a Remembering John Madden episode, which I think is better that Walter does more so than myself because I am a 20-year-old, and John Madden was retired by the time I ended up watching football. This is an 
era previous to mine, even if I consider myself whatever kind of historian of the game or whatever uh, people want to call it, I, I think it's just interesting to to look at the past as a reflection for what we're going to do in the future. And this is, a, a, a again, where sports reflect society moment, where it's interesting to look at history as a context for what we're growing into in the future. And so what I find interesting is... As John Madden passes away, which is, you know, about five years after Ken Stabler passes away and 10 years after Al Davis passes away and you see an era of the NFL start to fade away. You have the, the Hall of Fame quarterback, Hall of Fame coach and legendary owner, founder of the NFL passing away in an era uh, of the 1970s defined by the, the Raiders and just win baby and, and all those championship teams that came after you start to see that era start to age out and and people revered by people that would be my grandparents age and even my parents age when we talk about John Madden and what he did as a, a broadcaster start to age out usually that's what ends up happening for people at an older age is that you start to genuflect and you know look back on your own life and look back on situations like this and so there's a great rule that I heard Bomani Jones talk about one time, which is the idea that when when someone passes away, you overwhelmingly say nice things directly in the aftermath. It, it, when someone immediately dies, it's important to say nice things about the person or just not say anything. It's usually very difficult because we, we talked about this a lot about how one death is a tragedy. One death involves grief. One death involves loss. And thousands of deaths or 200,000 deaths or 700,000 deaths, as we're talking about in the COVID pandemic. That's a statistic. But one death is a tragedy. There's a grieving family and people are at a loss trying to cope with emotions. And so it's important to look fondly back on a person's life in the aftermath of their death and dissect things later on. What I find interesting about John Madden's death, and this will probably be the only time that we talk about this. It's just a rapidly evolving news cycle and a story that probably doesn't have more to it because I think if not for Walter's availability and his great uh, not, his great history and storytelling around John Madden and knowing the background of what this means to generations before mine and what John Madden means in that way, we probably don't talk about this story on the podcast because one of the things that I like to do with this is how can I bring unique perspective to an idea. I don't want to do a podcast that just retreads things that are already said or says the simplistic thing. We, we talked about this uh, when we were talking about Dalvin Cook and intimate partner violence with that story emerging back in November and the Henry Ruggs situation and the Deshaun Watson situation. I didn't want this to be a sexual assault is bad. Don't drink and drive. Always. Call, why would you be so dumb? Call an Uber. I don't want it to be that type of podcast all the time. I want to bring something new and, and try and force myself to think of new create or, or, or think for myself in developing my own thoughts and opinions that might be uh, or and sometimes grounded in facts, but thoughts and opinions and, and stories that are different. It's hard to do that in death. Uh, I remember we talked about the Philip Adams story a couple weeks ago, and, and that's something that's easier to dissect once the tragedy has begun to, to create time apart. The Philip Adams mass killing was back in April. We learned that he's diagnosed with CTE seven months later. 
then it's a story we can talk about, about the NFL's misgivings and how the uh, brain trauma affects a, a certain player and how we view tragedy and using it as a macro level conversation. That's something I found interesting and was able to have that conversation about. What I find interesting about the John Madden situation is this idea of a bygone era. The NFL is very different than the the NFL now is totally different than the history that came before it. And yet we can still take lessons from history because history often repeats itself in its themes. The context will never quite be the same. But if we look at history from like a 20th story of floor view, some things and patterns look quite similar. And this is the case with the NFL. And this is a case in a broad reflection of society is that when we look at the details up close, when we're standing, this is a, a classic psychology idea, which is that if you are standing on the, the sidewalk in New York and all the streets are moving, you, everyone's moving up and down the street, you can tell each person's individual outfit, each person's individual look, each person's individual style, the things that make a person unique when you look at it on the surface. You can see detail, you can see nuance, you can see all the differences at once. But if you go to the 25th floor of a building and look on that exact same street, people look like dots and you can kind of clump dots together based on certain characteristics maybe the direction that they're traveling in uh how many people are how many people are out at an active time how many people might be on their phone potentially how many people are driving a car versus how many people are walking you can find groups of people as a way to organize things and this is the same thing with society is when we pull history out to a large level you can see some you can see some historical differences or you can see differences in context. When John Madden retired from the NFL uh, broadcasting in 2006, it was John Madden being old fuddy-duddy commentator. You can go back and find this deep in message boards and deep in journalistic articles. Everyone's like, John Madden is, is the jolly giant of a bygone era. He's everyone's uncle. And we talk about this after with Walter. It's not in the podcast. But one of the things we talk about is John Madden is the wise old man and the wise uncle that makes everyone feel good for generations of football fans. And Pat Summerall and John Madden reflect that for a generation of people the same way Howard Cosell reflects that for a generation even before John Madden. Uh, for people who are who are getting into football in the 1960s and 1970s, Howard Cosell reflects that in the way John Madden does. There is no commentator in that way because the NFL is no longer a national sport. And so for a bygone era, and I'd say bygone only in the fact that it it's the people who were in power during that time, some are still in power, but overwhelmingly are moving out of power. Many are passing away. Many are moving into retirement. And you're seeing a generational shift where the NFL no longer has that broadcaster. Even when John Madden was aging out of the sport, you didn't have that broadcaster everyone gravitates towards because the NFL is now a national sport. The NFL has five, six, seven different broadcasters, many revered, but people who don't have that same connection because People aren't tuning in to hear them every single week on every single broadcast. And overwhelmingly, people are critical of the broadcast. And football has gotten to a point for myself where the broadcaster doesn't quite feel the same way. And one of the things that's interesting about this is 
how do we move on from bygone eras and still acknowledge and respect the past? Because the 1970s NFL is getting to a place where all of these people are really, really old. And 1960s NFL is getting to a place where it's really, really old. And this has never been more prevalent because you see civil rights leaders like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Jim Brown and, and Muhammad Ali passing away five years ago and Bill Russell being in his 80s. Like you're seeing these people age out and history ends up being forgotten because we don't look at the common themes from the past and what those people had to go through because ultimately Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Bill Russell and Jim Brown and Muhammad Ali until he lost the ability to speak they were still fighting for the same things in the now as they were in the 1960s and this is the interesting part about people who revere an era from the 1970s of NFL whether it's steel curtain football or the Raiders or the NFL today or whatever it might be those people are starting to age out and die and have already started to move out of power within most structures of America and so how we revere people in passing when history has moved on from them is a really really difficult thing because as, as Walter's going to tell you, there is a, so many lessons that can be taken away from John Madden. And I worry that those lessons are not going to be brought to the focus. And I just and, and part of the reason why is that the narrative people are trying to tell is a reverence for what they went through. And that's something that people my age and younger or even slightly older cannot relate to and this is where tribalism and all of this stuff gets really complicated because i hear people talk about a reverence for john madden who are like 24 years old on twitter and i'm like okay but it's only so much of a reverence that you feel because john madden was only a part of your life until you were about nine years old and even then, you see the nasty stories of John Madden not getting to age gracefully like most commentators don't get to, like Dickie V in his 80s, like Lee Corso in his 80s, where, or um, all the people who call into uh, Mike Francesa's show in New York just to troll him. Like, we don't let old people age gracefully in our society. We, we let them age, but we don't let necessarily let them age the way they want to as, like, naturally getting older is just a thing that happens in broadcasting and there's a reverence for people in an older generation but this is a difficult balance to find because for people who talk about reverence for john madden who are 24 i look at it i'm like you you did john madden doesn't mean that to you the way that you think it does it feels like people are just repeating things that people their parents age and their grandparents age have told them is how they feel and how they revere John Madden. And that's the only connection point they have to John Madden. And so you can extend this all the way to the 70s Raiders as well with Al Davis and Ken Stabler, who I find fascinating that entire era, that the head coach of the Super Bowl winning team, the quarterback and the owner of the team all passed away now. Like this, this, er this era of NFL glory, all of them Hall of Famers, all of them great, you know, figureheads of a time. All of them have passed away now. And that era starts to age out. And I wonder what the history is going to remember that by. 
and how you connect that to young people. Because I think the best way to remember John Madden is to talk about lessons that can be carried on forward from John Madden. If you revere the person who was, it's going to feel like you're honoring a bygone era. And maybe that's a way that some people cope with loss, and that's a way that people want to remember the fondness of the past. But if John Madden's legacy is going to carry on, and I put carry on in air quotes because it's always going to mean something to someone, but if you really want it to matter, let's take parts of that history and be able to apply it going forward. And Walter's going to talk about this with his leadership ability and some of the uh, words of wisdom that he espoused in his story. And I I do want to get to that pretty quickly because this is now becoming increasingly about me and less about Walter's fantastic story about John Madden. But I just find so interesting. How are we going to take these lessons and apply them forward for new generations? Because otherwise, it's going to be older people revering it and just trying to pass on a reverence that young people can't possibly understand because they didn't live through it and are being told this is how things are supposed to feel because that's how their parents feel. And ultimately, this is just tribalism. Tribalism happens in our society. Parents pass on ideas to their kids. It's why I find quite interesting when people talk about how 80s music was the best music and 80s movies were the best movies and you know, 80s kids television was the best stuff. I'm like, No, no, it is not. There's so much better quality stuff being made today. Technology has improved so much. People are so much more well-trained in this science and society is better today than it has ever been in the past. This is emphatically true. That's what progress is. Progress is society getting better today than it used to be. Some that's not always going to be the case. It always ebbs and flows. But people will all oh, people generally will always look fondly upon the era of their prime as the best time. That's why forty-five-year-olds talk about Michael Jordan all the time, and people in their fifties talk about Michael Jordan all the time, is because people often revere the time of their life that was their prime as the best time in human history because it was the best for them. And this is the difficult part about remembering those times is that it ends up hindering the progress of the moment because society is trying to move on from the parts of that time that no longer apply and the things that are no longer helpful to society today. And that's the part that I find interesting about how we remember legends like John Madden and for myself that's the best way I can do it because I'm not going to pretend gosh my life was changed by John Madden video games I'm like yeah okay the Madden video game does change life and it's this giant project that ends up creating a billion uh, I think Walter said eight or nine billion dollars in revenue for EA Sports as the classic video game it's like okay that can exist but If that's the legacy of John Madden, how does that help us move forward? What lessons can we take from this so that in his passing, we can continue whatever mission it was that John Madden was going on in whatever little way that we can? How can we carry the torch for him in making the world a better place from the lessons that he taught us? That's the questions I feel like people should be asking in remembrance Maybe not so much if you're someone in your 50s and 60s and you want to fondly remember a time from the past, 
that's fine, but people in their 50s and 60s also don't have to look fondly upon the past. People in their 50s and 60s can also look to a brighter future and look to advance the future into a better place. There's no reason you have to. It's just harder to do so because people are looking down less life and less of a future to look forward to. And maybe this sounds naive because I'm a person in their 20s right now with a full future ahead and not much to look back to in the past, but it's more difficult for people in that situation, I feel. And so that's the lesson I kind of want to take away from John Madden is in remembrance of someone, let's ask ourselves about what life lessons we can carry on forward. And I think Walter does a fantastic job of balancing that remembrance of a time in the past with this wonderful story he wrote from a book that is, is really poignant and powerful. And I'm really excited for you to hear it. And at the same time, also counterbalances with what are the lessons that John Madden took gave to him that he can carry forward in his own life and in my own life because there's two there's two lines in there that are really fantastic that even I will carry on in some way shape or form as a way to carry the torch for what John Madden was doing and continue to make the world a better place by finding little bits of wisdom that we can learn from history and sports is just a microcosm for applying this to whatever it is we're working on in society or in your own life, because my life, as much as it might not seem like it, is much larger than sports. So you can carry all these things on and find little bits of wisdom in history so that we're not doomed to make the same mistakes of the past. New sponsor alert here on the Take It Easy podcast. It is Lightbox Jewelry. Using cutting-edge technology and innovative techniques, Lightbox Jewelry has cracked the science of sparkle, creating the highest quality lab-grown diamonds that you can find at a light price of just $800 per carat. Lightbox lab-grown diamonds are the gift they'll never want to take off, priced so they won't have to. Visit lightboxjewelry.com to add sparkle to your holiday shopping. That's lightboxjewelry.com. Lightbox Diamonds. Never a dull moment. Thank you, Kyle Little Rock Ledbetter from Slam Diego. We come to you this morning uh, remembering John Madden, who passed away yesterday at the age of 85. Um, wow, what a legend. What a football giant. Um, and uh can share some things about him firsthand because I had the unique privilege and honor of meeting him and spending an afternoon with him as we were working together on the first version of John Madden football um, that, uh, as you will see in a minute, <laughs> as, as is the case with, with uh, so many ingenious ideas, <laughs> It sometimes takes um, some perseverance to push it through. And um, in this case, uh, this first original version did not make it. <laughs> um, and for the reasons I'll about to, I'm about to um, uh, read to you, I'm going to read the story from my most recent book, The Freechia Brothers and Other Foolish Risks, which you can find on Amazon if you so desire. Um, and uh, it's a story that I told my high school English students um, many, many times and friends and family. And um, it's, it's kind of a, it has some 
some interesting tidbits about the man, the coach, the legend, etc. So I'm going to read it to you, and then I'm going to um, comment on other aspects and remembrances of uh, John Madden. John Madden football. In 1983, after my fourth year of teaching and coaching at Trinity Pauling School in Pauling, New York, I received a phone call from my sister, Janet, who was working in the marketing department at CBS Electronics in Greenwich. She said that they were starting up a video game called John Madden Football and wanted to hire a football coach to help with the production. It was a summer job, and I had the summer free. Much to my amazement, I got the job. Even more to my amazement, CBS told me that I would be meeting with John Madden at some point and that I would be making $30 an hour. Now, mind you, this was 1983. $30 an hour? I was, pra- I was making practically $30 a day at Trinity Pauling plus room and board, as it was a private boarding school. <laughs> Before meeting Madden, however, I was asked to take a playbook that he had handed to CBS to diagram a set of plays from the book. Each afternoon, I would meet with the computer programmers, and they would program the plays. Then, once a good number of plays had been programmed, I was to go see John Madden at his apartment in New York City to see if he approved of the work. Before long, I settled into a comfy little routine. CBS set me up in a little office, and by morning, I was diagramming plays, all the movements, the blocking schemes, etc., At 11 a.m. each day, the computer programmers traipsed in wearing bedheads and rock band T-shirts, slurping on giant coffees and muttering things under their breaths. The first day I met the programmers, one of them said to me, Hey, dude, it's time to loosen up. Come on, guys, follow me. We followed him down a flight of stairs into a large video game arcade where all the popular video games and pinball machines like Pac-Man and Wizard 3 were sitting there preening. Go ahead, the programmer said. They're free, man. After a whole hour of playing video games, another one of the programmers said, hey, dudes, it's time for lunch. Man, I got to tell you, back then, and perhaps it's still true today, computer programmers could do whatever they dang well pleased. Hey, as long as they could fix everything just right, they were golden. No one dared to confront them. The programmers would trickle back in around 1.30 and we would get to work. Funny, they had set up a message system via a giant Lionel train set that was rigged along the tops of the cubicles. And if the train stopped at your cubicle, you could fetch the handwritten note from the open freight car. Usually the notes were something to the effect of, where are we meeting today after work? Programming the plays and The movements of all 22 players on the screen wasn't easy, and it took a good deal of time. By the way, I'll just add an aside in here, Um, and some of you probably know this, but um, the original uh, producers of Madden Football wanted him to condense it to, you know, like six players on a side, and Madden vehemently refused. He said, that's not football. we need 11 on a side. It has to be 11 on 11. So uh, here we were going 11 on 11. There was a good deal of trial and error along with a good deal of swearing. 
that's the other thing about computer programmers. They could square they could swear whenever and wherever they wanted and nobody gave a fucking shit. <laughs> I certainly didn't. While I was making thirty dollars an hour, those programmers could take as much time and swear all they wanted, as far as I was concerned. Finally the big day was upon us. I had the playbooks ready and the programmers showed me how to work the electronics. So with a large suitcase in hand, I boarded the train for New York. Madden's residence was on the Upper West Side by Central Park. I had the address and plenty of cash for cab fares. When the cab pulled up to Madden's apartment building, I could not believe my eyes. It was the Dakota. John Lennon had lived in the Dakota. Its architecture is unforgettable with its lofty gables, enormous windows, and tiny little doors. Many of the eaves are adorned with gargoyles, which leer very persistently across the street at the trees of Central Park. A venerable woman greeted me at the visitor's station. I asked her why the building was called the Dakota, and she said that when it was erected in the 1980s, excuse me, the 1880s, that upper part of Manhattan was undeveloped and considered a tad remote. And like the Dakotas, it was thought of as far to the north and west. I then asked her whether she knew John Lennon and Yoko, and Yoko Ono. She said that indeed she did, and that she was, he was such a lovely man, and that, and that Yoko still lived there in the Dakota. The gatekeeper called up to John Madden. I could hear the former Raiders head coach distinctively stentorian voice when he said, for the sake of video game zealots across the USA, let him in. When Madden's tiny door opened, it was like seeing the jolly green giant behind it. Walter, he said, come on in. He slapped me on the back. Whap! And I could feel the impact of a large ring. Sure enough, he wore a large ring on the fourth finger of both hands. One was his 1976 Super Bowl ring. And the other was a large gold ring with the figure... 100 lined with diamonds he said that his wife virginia who i just met at the door as well was so gracious and welcoming had bought him the gold ring with the hundred and diamonds after he became the youngest coach in nfl history to accomplish 100 career wins so after a brief discussion of his rings he sat me down at his kitchen table he then peered deeply into my eyes and said, you know, Walter, there are three kinds of people in life. People who make things happen, people who watch things happen, and people who don't know what the fuck's happening. Which one are you? Um, sir, I'd like to think I'm one who makes things happen. Good, he thundered. Whap! He slapped me on the back again with, with uh, the impact of his ring. Let's get started. So the great news was that Madden was very impressed with the plays and the electronics. He diagrammed a few more plays for me to add. Then he performed two live radio interviews over the phone from the West Coast, the Bay Area, where, where Madden is forever revered. It is always cool to watch a real pro at work. At the door when he was saying goodbye, he said, you tell those programmers to stop wasting so much time playing video games, you hear? How'd you know that, I asked incredulously. He said, all smart coaches have their spies. 
By the end of the summer, I returned to Trinity Pauling in a new car, <laughs> which prompted Mr. John Lloyd Owen, the dean of faculty, to ask if I had swindled someone. <laughs> I tried to tell him about Madden football, but he said, Fooey, I don't know a bloody thing about your American football, except that it's played by Neanderthals. Two weeks later, in early September, CBS fired the entire electronics division. In the process, John Madden football was thrown into the scrap heap. Little did CBS know that five years later, it would become a gold mine to the tune uh, of, <laughs> I guess the proceeds now or the, the, the profits are now up to something like eight or nine billion. Uh, when another version of it was developed by Electronic Arts, EA Sports, it's in the game. I always wondered whether one of the CBS computer programmers had held on to the Madden football project for four years and then had brought it, brought it to elect, Electronic Arts. While I don't know the answer to that, I am reasonably certain there was a good deal of swear, swearing the day that CBS... Uh, ejected the programmers back into the job market like freshly launched pinballs. So, wow, what an experience. And I can remember almost every detail of it this many years later. It was so vivid because everything about John Madden was vivid. Um, you know, there's some people who play to the cameras and whatever, and behind the scenes, they're, curmudgeons. Uh, John Madden was John Madden every day of his life, whether there was a camera on him or a mic in front of him or at the kitchen table like we were working on some football plays. Uh, he, you know, and, and his classic form with all his gesticulations, even when he was doing his radio shows, <laughs> his arms were flailing and moving. And, you know, I, I, he had such a great way of moving and talking at the same time and, um, and expressing himself through his hands with, with no doubt. There's something majestic about John Madden that I've been thinking about quite a bit since I watched the documentary, which by the way, if you haven't seen from Fox, it's, it's, uh, it's beautiful. Um, they did a magnificent job on it and, um, it's quite a stunning tribute to the man. And, uh, um, I think that it's worth your while to, to watch it because after all, I think we all know, and love and appreciate John Madden, his own player, Art Shell, um, tweeted that this morning as he was loved by everyone. And there were good reasons to love him. Um, first with what I know, just the, the awesome, um, stark blue of his eyes. Um, and in, in those eyes was a ferocity, but kind of braided with a, a, a searing kindness. Like when he looked at, at me, I mean, when he looks at people, he's looking for the good. Um, and he's looking for the connection. Uh, one of the things that was so great about him going around the country in his Madden cruiser was... You know, he wanted to know his audience. He wanted to mull around with everyday people. In a way, John Madden was a superstar who was an everyman. I mean, he was, he wanted to meet and greet and 
hear about people's lives and hear about, um, you know, what they're going through on the, in the documentary he talks about me, meeting a dairy farmer in Wisconsin, having a great talk with him and realizing how difficult a job that is in that, you know, dairy farmers work every day of the year. Um, they have to, um, and there are issues that, that he discovered and wanted to talk about, but, uh, yeah, and the way he went around the country, it struck me very profoundly that when John Madden said he would never do anything, something um, anymore, he completely meant it. I mean, it was kind of stunning that he retired after 10 years as head coach of the Raiders. But clearly the, the wear and tear of the job, which I think is largely underestimated, particularly by media, and um, and other folks um, really got to him, uh, and his wife um, Virginia and his sons Mike and Joe. I mean, they you know it was a family decision, and he felt like, uh, as he put it, he had nothing more to give. Um, he'd given it all already. And he said right then and there, I will never coach another day of football in my life, which was stunning. I mean, he was so successful. But the irony is he was largely skeptical of of the media. Um, that was one of the things that kind of um, drained, the, drained the, the, the sap out of him. Um, and, uh, you know, when asked about being a broadcaster, becoming a broadcaster he just kind of was scoffing about it like he just didn't want to you know go into the media as it were um under you know the way that the media was you know currently comprised and comported um so but you know the great thing about john madden was you know, as being an everyman, he knew how to relate to every person. And one of, as a rhetorician, I mean, as as someone who had a command of language, um, he, you know, if you study his way of communicating, is he had a had a unique way of offering logical paradigms like syllogisms, like you know, if A equals B and B equals C, then a equals C. Um, for example, one of the great ones was uh, he said on the documentary, which was so John Madden, when asked why he, you know, why he agreed to accept CBS's offer for him to come in and try six games. Um, this was a year, a couple years after he, he had retired from coaching. Um, he said that he wanted to immediately turn it turn it down but that his agent called him and said you know if you turn it down john um sorry they won't call you again so if if you ever really wanted to give it a chance the offer's there you take the offer so john said john had said so i took the offer <laughs> No, and he said, and he drew an interesting comparison to um, the conversations he'd have with players that 
you know, after two a days back in the hot sun back in the day when he was coaching, would the young ones would want to quit. And when he sat them down to have them try to rethink that decision, he said, look, you know, if you leave now, you're never going to play football again. So you just have to know that. Um, the other thing that he said never about was uh, flying. Um, you know, he had a, a panic attack on a flight to Tampa, um, and he swore that to himself that if um, if the plane landed safely, um, he would never fly again, and he did. He never flew again. That's why. CBS um, built him a um, Madden cruiser, and you know what a what a way to see the country and to you know rub elbows with the audience that you're you're uh, broadcasting to every every week. Um, and he had would join him at times, and you know there were other P Peter King joined him for. A, for a cross country trip one time and chronicled the whole, the whole thing on, on, um, you know, NBC on his, on his, uh, Monday morning quarterback, um, articles. Uh, wow. Um, what a, and he had an amazing bus driver that he bonded with and, you know, the, the bus itself was a luxury liner. Um, and, uh, as Peter King said in his article, he had, and John Madden felt he had the greatest job in the world, uh, riding around in his cruiser bus, um, sleeping as late as he wanted, not having to, uh, um, you know, to change clothes very often, only having to put on a tie for three hours a week, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, broadcasting a game he so revered and loved, um, and uh, but here's the thing about John John Madden. Um, he was always a teacher first, and this is what I really appreciated about him. And I, we talked about teaching. He knew I was a teacher and a coach. And the first thing he said to me is, "Hey, you know, in our day, you know, if you wanted a coach, you had to teach." And he said, "So I always took teaching very seriously, and I always had quite a reverence for it." And I, I was very happy to hear him say that. And uh, but if you look at John Madden and what he did with the Raiders as a teacher, on top of being an inspirational coach, and then what he decided to do with his rest the rest of his life. I mean, John Madden football, the video game, is a teaching lesson about football. I mean, he did teaching lectures for women about football. Um, in California, at Berkeley and other places, um, he wanted to teach people the game so as to foster an understanding, um, a national understanding and, and a, a greater awareness of, of the greatness of this game and how, how, you know, the nuances of it that make it so compelling. And, you know, uh, all Madden team was a um, was a teaching lesson. You know, M Madden was in telling America 
these are the superstars of your game and here's why and it starts with effort and it continues over to toughness and it and teamwork and you know sacrifice these are the guys these are the outliers these are the the lions of the industry and these are the guys we ought to we ought to laud and, and um, celebrate each year and, uh, of course madden taught people how to celebrate thanksgiving a little more festively than than uh than they had with this turduckens and the the thanksgiving football game traditions that he you know espoused and embraced and um you know but his life was about teaching and he, his reverence for teaching was always in in you know in clear sight uh i still have the manuscript that of john madden um his his uh, teaching football manuscript that he wrote back in California after he retired. Um, it's probably a rare copy because you can't buy it anywhere. And he signed it for me. And um, that's where Madden football, the video game began because I, you know, started with diagramming the plays out of that manuscript. And he breaks down every aspect of the game in all three phases and, um offense defense and special teams it's it's a magical um teaching manuscript and uh i'll tell you what for someone who is on the verge of becoming a head football coach for the first time um and i was only an assistant when i was hired by cbs um who was very always interested in x's and o's in particular um what a what a blessing that was for me to learn from that manuscript, to talk with a legend himself and, you know, to, um, to become more enthused and excited about the prospect of, of coaching this amazing game that John Madden so fervently loved and dedicated his life to. Um, you know, there's, there are some people in life, um, you know, who lift everyone up. And that's another thing he wanted to teach America about the media. Instead of tearing people down, he wanted to lift people up. And he was not one to be overly critical of people or jump to, you know, epic conclusions and hasty, precipitous conclusions about, about people. He always believed in in looking for the good. And, um, I saw that at his, at his home overlooking central park from that kitchen table, you know, and everything he did that day, he was, uh, he lifted me up. His, uh, his wife and he, and their banter was like classic. They were just so charming together. I mean, they were both ripping each other the whole time and cracking jokes and, um, you know, Virginia uh, is in her own right an epic figure. Um, and the two of them together are just unbelievable. And then his son, Mike, was there. Um, in fact, he went out on a jog through Central Park and came back in. It was an August day. It was kind of hot. I was like, wow, okay. Um, he was really nice. Uh, 
And, um, you know, it was just his hospitality um, and his gregarious, jovial nature. I mean, I think it was very fitting that Fox aired the Madden um, documentary on Christmas Day. Because in a way, I liken John Madden, I think some people do, to Father Christmas. I think he's, of you know, he's brought such joy and a love for life to people um, and a love for the game of football um, and a passion and a positivity and the auspices of hope to so many people um, and in educating people about the greatness of not only the game, but of life and of life's decisions and of the little things in life. I mean, that's the thing about his broadcast is it, you know, who else could use the telestrator on water buckets and make stunning analogy to life about things like that? And uh, uh, we, we lost a giant yesterday. Um, someone, uh, you know, as Art Shell said, he was loved by everyone. And I have to say that I've loved the man since I met him. I didn't really know that much about him, except I knew how great he was as a coach. And he was just really getting started then with not only Madden football, but with his broadcasting career. And to watch him blossom into the giant of the industry um, with Pat Summerall, which the two of them were, um, you know, uh, heaven sent. I mean, the match made in heaven. Um, they were awesome. And, uh, I mean, Madden made everyone that he worked with, with good and they all loved working with him. Um, so, but, uh, Madden is Madden. And, uh, I'll tell you what, as I wrote in my tweet yesterday, uh, you know, he was the ultimate football legend who made things happen. Well, those are my thoughts today. Um, I'll be posting something on Revenge of the Birds. Um, if you have any questions or comments about John Madden or anything else, uh, please uh, direct them to me at revengeofthebirds.com and to, um, or at WBJ Mitch on Twitter. Uh, boy, enjoy this week, holiday week, and... Uh, you know, I, there's another thing I'm going to post today. I wrote a recent article um, about Cardinals uh, coaches, the, the young coaches that were hired in the NFL, um, like in the hirings of Don Coriel to John Madden to Cliff Kingsbury, um, which is interesting in that article, too, is a is a, a YouTube video of John Madden delivering the eulogy for Don Coriel, which is stunning. Um, if you haven't seen that, that is a treat. So, um, but I uh, hope you have a great holiday and a happy new year. Long live the legend of John Madden. Talk to you later. Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu visit.